You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to MidtownColumbia.com. You can grab your seat. Amen. It's a, I count it an honor to be able to worship with y'all today and also to get into the Word of God uh, with you all. If you want, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to start it at verse 1 again, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're in a series where we're just walking through uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, kind of verse by verse, looking at what does God have to say to us as his church. We see in the book of, of 1 Corinthians a very broken group of people, a people who just don't live honestly the way God has called them to. Paul, inspired by the Lord, is writing to them calling them to to understand and embrace and realize their true identity in Christ and then live live that out. Uh, For the first three chapters in this book, we see uh, Paul uh, rebuking them over and over again because of how they've been idolizing their leaders to the point that it's been causing division in the church. Some are saying, I follow Paul. Some are saying, I follow Apollos. And Paul, I think it's in chapter one, says, wait, did, did Paul die for you? Did I die for you? Did, did Apollos die for you? No, we, we center our fellowship not around leaders in the church, but around Christ himself, who did, in fact, die for us. He's showing them they, they, they have been infatuated with the different leadership styles and leadership giftings of their leaders, and it's causing so much division in the church. Today in chapter 4, Paul kind of turns a corner. And he, he corrects them, not just by telling them what they're, what they're doing wrong and, and esteeming their leaders too highly, but he kind of turns the corner and says, but this is the type of leader that you should esteem and respect to some degree. So today we're going to get some insight into Paul's ministry and how he views leadership as he's revealing to the Corinthians how they actually should regard the leaders that are there. We're going to get some leadership pointers, if you would, from Paul. Any church, any ministry is in in desperate need of strong and trustworthy leaders, right? Leadership can be defined as the, the, the act of leading a group of people or leading an organization. You, you, you can notice in the Bible that when God moves in a way where he redeems and saves people, he's always working through, generally speaking, a group of people, right? The, the, the Christian life and Christian activity and ministry is not a solo job. It's a job that we do together as brothers and sisters, as families, as the body of Christ. And if that is the case, then leadership is of extreme importance. If we are to serve together, then we need to know how to be trustworthy leaders. We need to know how to identify a trustworthy leader when we find one and have them lead the people of God forward. As the people of God, from day one, we're engaged in a war, right? We have a real enemy who who is out to to deceive all so that we might not know who God truly is and what Christ has truly done for us. We're soldiers in an army, not an army of one, but we fight together, and so we need leaders. This is of critical, critical importance what Paul gets into today. I know that there are some in here today who aspire to be leaders in various capacities. Some of you are in serving in leadership roles that you are in. Obviously, this sermon will be very applicable to you. But I also want to talk to those who aspire to maybe lead in certain capacities, but God hasn't opened that door yet. If that's you, if you aspire to be a stronger, more trustworthy leader, I want to advise you to possibly take notes today. I believe this will, what Paul has for us will be extremely helpful 
for all of us. So I'm just going to pull out three main elements, three main points that Paul uh, brings to bear in this, in this passage in chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. I don't have time to get to everything, but I believe these are the three that are coming through the strongest. I just want to read the passage all the way through, and then I'll pray for us, and we'll, we'll jump right in with our first point. I'll read starting in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Father, so we get this, this beautiful insight into Paul's life, Paul's ministry, how he has shown himself to be trustworthy. Would you challenge us today? Would you confront us today? Would you grow us in ways that we need to grow today? Father, if there's any in the room who needs to, to step up in any type of leadership way in an official role or in an unofficial role, will you make that clear and plain? Would you give us the courage that we need? Would you help us to overcome whatever hurdles might be in the way of that? Father, for those of us who are already leading, would you give us these, these reminders to strengthen us, to bolster us in, in, in our faith and in the calling that you have for us? It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Uh, I want to start by saying when I talk about leadership, I think it's important just from the beginning to say if you are a Christian, God has called you to lead in some ways. He's called you to lead. He's called you to influence. If nothing else, he's called us to make disciples of all nations and thus lead people to Christ, if nothing else. Right? There's no such thing as a Christian who is not supposed to lead and have influence in some ways. This is applicable to all of us. And these points we'll get into aren't just for people necessarily who are in specific leadership roles or designated leadership roles. I believe it applies to all of us. The first point might be very easy to guess. Paul says, 
in verse 1, this is how one should regard us, talking about himself and Apollos and other apostles, as servants of Christ, Paul says. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. The first point is be a servant of Christ. A trustworthy leader, specifically in, in the church, in the kingdom of God, is to be a servant of Christ first. So again, I said earlier, Paul has been ta- telling them how, that, how they are regarding their leaders wrong. They are esteeming them too highly. And then again in verse 1, he says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. Now, this specific word for servant uh, is, is one that Paul only uses one time in all of his, uh, all the letters that we have from him. He usually uses the, the, the Greek word doulos or doulos. It, it means a bond servant. It can be translated even as slave. That's not the term servant that he's using right here. Actually, this term servant is generally over 50% of the time and is actually translated in the Bible as officer, as an officer. He's saying we, we are servants or we are officers of Christ. In the New Testament times when this was written, those, those servants, those, those officers would be uh, men or women who are both under authority and have authority as well. So you're generally uh, in, in their uh, judicial system or maybe in their police force, they would have a captain and under that captain would be a servant or an officer, so to speak. And that officer would have authority over the people uh, in the jurisdiction where he is leading. This servant is one who has authority and both is under authority. He wants them to have a view of, the, of their leaders that isn't too high, but also isn't too low. That you shouldn't put them on the same, uh, in the, on the same level or on a type of pedestal that you would put Christ on. But at the same time, there is an appropriate way to esteem the leaders that God has with us and among us. He has given them authority, spiritual authority, to some degree. And there are some who forget this, who neglect this, some leaders who, even Christian leaders, who abuse their power and authority, who use their authority for selfish gain, who use their authority to cover up harmful injustices. There are some who get on this this power trip and just use their authority just to be able to tell people what to do because it makes them feel better about themselves. Anyone who does this has lost sight of the fact that every leader first, every trustworthy leader is a servant of Christ, is under authority, that we don't use our leadership and authority for our own purposes, for our own good, for our own gain, but we use it for Christ's purposes and his glory. We need leaders who are servants first. We need leaders who know what it is to be under authority first. If you can't be under authority, you can't be in authority. You can't understand authority if you can't appropriately submit to authority that is over you. This is of crucial importance as we see oftentimes scandal after scandal, I feel like, come out about church leaders in ways authority has been abused. We've forgotten these essential elements of first, we are servants of Christ. We follow him. He leads us. What he tells us to do, that is what we do, and that is how we lead and the truth is, being a, being a servant of Christ, that, that officer position first, is the most beautiful and freeing thing for a leader. Paul is saying that Christ is the one that he reports to. Christ is the, is the one ultimately who's going to judge him. He is not judged by any human court. Paul actually says earlier, and I'm trying to remember which verse it was, he says, I'm Verse 5, therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord who will bring to light the things now hidden in the darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. 
And even in verse 3, he says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. He can say this because he is a servant of Christ first. So it doesn't matter to him how, how, how highly people esteem his leadership or his giftings or how good of a job he's doing as a leader because he doesn't ultimately answer to people, but he ultimately answers to God. So he is not leading to gain any type of approval or, or respect from the people that he is leading he serves God. He does what God calls him to do. And whatever people think about him is just whatever they think about him. He doesn't sit under that court because he is a servant of Christ. He doesn't fear the opinions of man because he knows who he ultimately serves. He's not overly worried about if people even think he's a good leader. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I have. I remember, especially when we were first getting started at, uh, start, when our church was first getting started, excuse me, I remember many, many Saturdays, uh, just because the, the next day I'll be preaching, so I got the sermon kind of wrestling and I'm mulling it over in my head, and it's not quite coming together the way that I wanted to. And I remember this, this anxiety, I remember this stress, I remember this, this sinking feeling in my stomach of, oh, man, like, how are people going to feel about the sermon? Like, do I, need, do I need to add more jokes in? Like, do I need to make it more compelling? Do I need more stories? Do I need to expose the Bible better? So crippling. Understanding that first we are servants of Christ is so freeing. It's so freeing. I remember even especially on Sunday mornings, I, I, I may be to the point where sometimes my hands would just shake as I had these, these anxieties about standing up and kind of putting myself out there before people worrying about what people would think about me and my ability to teach and that kind of thing. I had it twisted. My, my anxiety came because I thought I was just a servant of people that didn't answer to a higher court. I thought that the people in the room were ultimately my judge instead of looking to Christ, knowing that I am his servant first. I want to talk to any leader in our church that feels insecure because you're worried about what other people think about your leadership. Maybe you're a life group leader. Maybe you, you lead on Sunday volunteer teams like production or host team or kid town or a worship team or whatever it is. I want to tell you that you don't ultimately answer to the people in this room. We're not ultimately trying to impress anybody. Your status is not at stake at a life group meeting as you're trying to put together how I'm going to lead this life group meeting. Your, your status is not on the line there. Your, your security in Christ, God's love for you is not changed or hindered in any way by how good of a job you do as a leader. We are servants of the one who loves us. Regardless, whose love is steadfast that we depend on. That said, listen to the advice that people might give you. Listen to the constructive criticism that, that people give you. But ultimately, you're not serving so that their opinion of you might change. Ultimately, you're serving that, that your group, that our church might grow and be edified in the Lord. Because if you don't know, realize that you're ultimately a servant of Christ... You might be nervous about saying that hard thing to the person in your life group that needs you to say something hard to them, that needs you to rebuke them. If you don't realize you're a servant of Christ, you, you might, out of fear, not tell them the thing that they need to hear from you. If you don't realize you're actually a servant of Christ first, and because you're a servant of Christ, you serve the people of God with what is needed, not just with what people want to hear. If you're not willing to do that, you can't be a trustworthy leader, right? If the people in your life group can't trust you to be honest about what's really going on with them, about how they have turned from the Lord, then you're not trustworthy. If you're not a servant of Christ first, then how, how can you be trusted to truly lead people if you fear the people you're trying to lead? 
I know parents who care more about their kids' approval than about how God feels about how they parent their kids. I know parents who, the, the way that they parent and, and the lack of discipline that they, that they incorporate in their raising their kids is because they don't understand. Ultimately, I answer to God and not my kids. And if my kids don't like it, that's fine. I have to do what I'm supposed to do and what God calls me to do. Leads to fear in our hearts, leads to this anxiety, leads to us not being trustworthy because we don't understand that we are servants of Christ first. That any position of authority we have in the church or even in our homes, it comes from God. And thus we ought to follow him regardless of what others think, family members, friends, other members of our church. If we are to be trustworthy, we have to understand that ultimately we don't answer to any human court. We ultimately answer to God and his court that sits above all others. That means you aren't ultimately judged by other people's opinions and preferences of you as a leader, but it also means you aren't ultimately judged by your opinions and your preferences either. Because Paul also says that I don't even judge myself in that passage. I don't know if you caught it. Paul says, I don't even know of anything that I'm doing wrong, but that doesn't mean that I'm innocent because I answer to God first. He said, it's not just other people's opinions and thoughts and concerns that don't judge me. He's saying, my opinions and views of myself don't judge me either. Paul says, verse, the, if you look at the middle of verse 3 and go on through verse 4, he says, in fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself. He's saying, because I don't know what, what, what claim might come against me, he says, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. I'm not ultimately led by other people's thoughts about what I'm doing, and I'm not ultimately led by my own thoughts about what I'm doing. That's the harder one, Right? Because it's easy to be like, well, you, you can't judge me. Only God can judge me. That's the easy part. That's real easy. The haters, they all on your shoulder. You got to get them off. That's easy. Real easy, right? But what about when the Bible confronts you? You ever been there? You're reading the Bible. and You're like, I don't think I like that. What God just said. I'm the only one who's been there. Been there many times. I don't think I'm. Mm, I don't know. I'm going to put that aside. I might come back to that later. I don't, I don't know about that. I don't think I like that. Anytime. We disagree with the Bible. I'm wrong. The Bible's right. Every single time. God's right. I'm wrong. If I disagree, there's something in me that is off that needs to change, that needs to be redirected. We get in this weird place. We get in this weird place where we feel like when we look at something in the Bible and be like, I don't think I agree with that. You just put God. It's not just that you don't see yourself as in God's courtroom. You just put God in your courtroom. And you sit as the judge presiding over God, determining whether or not he's righteous and just or not. It's what we have done. Paul says, I'm a servant of Christ. No one else judged me. I'm not worried about your thoughts. I'm not worried about my own thoughts. Christ is my judge. Paul says, very easy, very easy for us to consider ourselves our own judge. Very easy. We stick to the book. We stick to the Bible. We stick to the scriptures. Paul brings us up in verse 6. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, Paul says, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other. Because if you can assert yourself over the authority of the Bible itself, your pride has no bounds. Your pride has no limits. Of course, there's going to be division. Of course, you're going to think if someone disagrees with you that they're wrong. You assert yourself over God. You think you reign over the entire universe. 
Of course you're going to be puffed up in the way that you deal with other people. You, you think God is in your courtroom. We don't run God. God runs us. First of all, trustworthy leaders are servants of Christ. Any authority that we have was given to us by him, and we submit and bow our knee and our head to him. Otherwise, you can't be trustworthy to lead. You think God is in your courtroom? You'll treat people any way you want to, and you'll justify it. Maybe you'll twist the scripture to do it, to to act like God is still judging you. You can justify anything. If you're going to be a trustworthy leader in the kingdom of God, you must first be a servant of Christ, one under his authority. And that leads us in the way we lead those who might be in authority under us, or under our authority, I should say. Second point we see in this passage, a trustworthy leader provides an example. A trustworthy leader will provide an example. Check out what he says in verse 15. For though you have countless gods in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, and this is what every Christian should be desiring to be able to say. Verse 16, I urge you then, be imitators of me. That's a powerful thing to be able to say. You want to go in Christ? Look at how I lived and do that, and you'll grow. You want to be more like Jesus? Look at my life and what I did, and you'll be more like him. An unbelievable statement that he would be able to make. Continue on verse 17. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in the church. So you need to be reminded of what this looked like. He was able to use himself as an example. It's astounding to me. Imitate me and you'll be more Christ-like. This is all of our goals. This is what all of us aspire to. To me, this is the most challenging out of the three points that I have today. Because this ties your leadership to your personal holiness. This ties your leadership to, to, to who you are. That trustworthy leadership is not just something you do, but it's rather who you are first. Are you a trustworthy leader? This takes it to your relationship with the Lord. It takes it to your devotion to his scriptures. This shows us that if we, want, we really want to grow as leaders, much of the battle is just coming to know Christ more. Isn't that freeing? Much of the battle to become a more trustworthy leader is just, hey, come know Christ more. Spend time in the Word. Spend time in prayer. Practice the, the spiritual disciplines like, like community and fellowship, like fasting and praying and meditating on the Scriptures. Just grow and know Him more. and He'll change you. And you'll become more trustworthy as you become more like Him. You want to see people around you follow Jesus more? The first step is you following Him more. You want to see people around you loving Him more? The first step is you loving Him more. We're all called to make disciples. Everyone, I said a little earlier, all of us are called to make disciples, and we have leadership in that way, but we first must understand the first disciple you're responsible for making is yourself. The first one. And if we aren't doing this, then at best, you're a blind guide, and at worst, you're a hypocrite. If, if leadership for you isn't, isn't to the degree to which we cannot say, imitate me as I, as I follow Christ, or follow me as I follow Christ, is the, is the degree to which we're hypocrites. Is the degree to which that what we are saying and, and where we are trying to lead people is separate from our actual lives. Paul's revealing us trustworthy leaders live what they say. You can't trust a leader who doesn't live what they're saying. They don't even truly believe it if they aren't at least striving for it. I was talking to 
a brother this morning. I was just asking this, this morning. I was just asking him, "Hey, hey, who is somebody who, because of their presence, just their example, not even talking about their words, just by their example, has helped you to grow?" Uh, he pointed out Lindsay. He said, "Seeing it's hard to care for others, no matter who they are, or what their situation is, is something that can't be compared to anything else I've seen." He said, "You can tell that that just comes from Jesus." Seeing him build with non-believers and point them to Christ, point them to the scriptures. He says, it challenges me to do the same thing. He said, it's impacting me and challenging him just seeing the example. Just seeing the example. Hey, listen, because I know the brother I asked, he's heard me preach about all that stuff before. I feel like he's heard some pretty decent, at least decent sermons, right? <laughs> on being on mission, on loving, at least some fairly decent sermons. He said, it's like it brings the, the word to life. When he sees the, the living word, Jesus himself working out his character in and through Lindsay, whom he's had the pleasure of being around. He pointed out another brother. He said it's hard to serve people so often, even though he's doing 110 things. He said it just it impacts him. It's like it just throws him off. It's a reminder to him that he has to be a servant as well. He said it's like John 13 in action. John 13 is when Jesus washes his disciples' feet and then tells them that's how they are to serve each other. This is just, this is not this person's words. This is just their actions. This is just seeing their example. He pointed to another brother. And he said, there's never a conversation I have with this dude where he's not talking to me about Jesus. He said he sees him with his family. He's modeling how God told Adam to cultivate and protect for his family. He said he sees his brother consistently doing whatever it is that God has called him to do. And he said, it shows me that I need to challenge myself to see how God is in everything in my life. It convicts me because I realize that I continue to see God through a microscope and seeing him as very small when I need to be seeing him through a telescope and knowing how great and big he is. He said, being around this brother reminds me that every second of my life, God is around me. That's a powerful example. Not even this brother's words, how this brother lives. We need leaders who are trustworthy because they lead by example. He also pointed out, he said, Jasmine's heart for caring for everybody is something that just messes me up. He said, you can tell anything she's involved in, when you're there, you feel cared for. He said, it, it impacts me because it helps me to know that I am loved by my whole family, my brothers and my sisters, and not just my brothers, he said. Being a trustworthy leader is about who you are, not what you do, and we need trustworthy leaders who lead by example. Sermons are great and very important and very needed, and living out the very character of God around someone else is so transformative. It's so challenging. The Holy Spirit works in the fellowship of believers. As we see our brothers and sisters following him, we need these examples. We need your example. The members of your life group need your example. One of the things I've often said is oftentimes more is caught than is taught. More is caught than is taught. There's things you probably picked up from, from family members, maybe your parents or whoever it was. There are some things that they told you that they, that they picked up, and there's some things that they just do, and now you just do it now. You just caught it. It, just, it's, it seemingly became a part of you because of how much you were around people who were leading you with that example. We need trustworthy leaders who set an example for us. And the inverse of that is, if you're not leading by example, then you're not a trustworthy leader. Just not... Trustworthy. The third point of a trustworthy leader 
And this is a tough one, too. Point number three, be ready to sacrifice. Be ready to sacrifice. Be prepared. Expect it. See it coming. Don't be surprised when it's costing you a lot to be a leader in the kingdom of God. Verse 9, Paul says, For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. In the Roman Empire, when they would capture an enemy that they're going to sentence to death, they would, they, would, they, would, they would parade them in front of everyone as one who is sentenced to death. They would make an exhibit out of them. They would make a spectacle out of them. As likely Paul was referring to saying, as, as an apostle, in the role that God has me, this is how I feel. I'm, I'm, I feel so many weaknesses. He goes on to explain it specifically what he means in verse 10. 10 and 11, I should say. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. So he's going back to what he said earlier in the book when they understood wisdom to be living a successful and prosperous life. So Paul's life would have been seen as foolish to them because of all the suffering he endured because he was an apostle. So he says, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. This is, this is somewhat sarcastic, Paul is saying. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we are disrepute. Verse 11, to the present hour, right now, to the present hour, he said, up until right now, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted. That word buffeted, if you look at the literal translation, means to strike with the fist. If you look at the figurative translation, it means to, to, to mistreat, especially with violence. He's saying, we've taken beatings for this. Paul came in ready to suffer. God let him know early on that he was going to suffer a lot because of his leadership position. Paul was ready to sacrifice, and that's how you know you can trust him. Ready to sacrifice. He goes on to say, also, and homeless. You want to know how much somebody cares about something? Look at how much they're willing to sacrifice for it. Look at how much they're willing to suffer for that thing. You want to know how committed somebody is to something? See what happens when suffering comes. See what happens when it gets difficult. You'll learn about them. Suffering has an ability to, to, to squeeze out of you whatever is really deeply in you. Suffering has the ability to reveal what's actually there. You can put up a facade when things are cool. Anybody can do that. That's easy, simple, real simple, real easy to do. But when it's tough, when it's hard, you see whether or not we're actually trustworthy. He continues in verse 12, and we labor working with our hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. He's saying we've gone through so much, so much difficulty. We're being mistreated. He said, first of all, we, when we go from place to place, we work at our hands to make sure we got money so y'all didn't think that we were trying to rob you or get any money from you. That's the first thing, and we'll get into that later in the book. He also says, when reviled, we bless. When someone insults us, we bless them. Because he expected to have to sacrifice. He expected to have to suffer. When persecuted, we just endure it. We just continue on. He expects that as part of the call to leadership. Showing them what, what trustworthy Christian leadership looks like, he just reveals to them how much he suffered for the cause. And this is not an extensive list. He has a longer list in 2 Corinthians as well. He's embraced this life of difficulty because he finds it to be worth it. A life that they would have seen as foolish, that they would have mocked, that they would have seen as weak, he embraces it, even though it didn't fit their views of success, so that he can fulfill the assignment that God has given him. 
Don't trust someone who wants to be a leader but isn't willing to suffer anything for the cause. Don't trust anyone who wants to be a leader but isn't willing to suffer anything for the cause. If you're not willing to suffer in battle, then you're not trustworthy enough to lead the troops. If you won't suffer in the battle, you can't lead the troops who are in the battle. We have leaders in this room, this is one of the things I'm most proud to say, who I know of specifically have been slandered, have been talked about behind their backs, have, have, have tried to lead and serve people by saying the hard things, and then have been disrespected, have been completely cut off, and you continue to lead and serve. And I am so proud. I am so proud of every leader in this room who has done that. We need you. Our church needs you. Our church doesn't continue on without you. And it is beautiful, and it shows that you love the Lord, and you are trustworthy as a leader. The leader who says people have talked bad about me, one of the things that uh, Jason Grant used to say, somebody asked him about uh, if, if they were ready to become a, a life group leader. He said, are people lying to your face yet? And the guy said, no. He's like, you ain't ready yet. You ain't ready. You ain't, you ain't, you're not ready for this. You ain't, you ain't about this life. His point was, as he pursues after people and just asks them how they're doing, what's this sin struggle looking like in your life, people are going to lie to you. He said, you, you just got to expect it. You just got to know what's going to come. It's going to happen. Be prepared for it. And when you are engaged enough in people's life, this is what he said. I'm not saying we're endorsing this. What, we, what he would say is, if you're not prepared and if you haven't endured that, if you haven't pursued people so much that people are lying to you, he said, you ain't ready for this. You ain't ready for this. You sit on the sideline a little bit more. Let me know when people are lying to your face. Leadership is hard. It's demanding of your time, of our energy. You have all these desires for your area of ministry. You have all these goals, which are, which are great, and people don't show up. People show up late. It's frustrating. You have to continue to deal with the people who at times might let you down, might hurt your feelings. Very, very difficult and challenging. But I got to ask you something. What did you think you were signing up for? What, what, what did you understand ministry leadership to be? What, what, what did you expect to come out of it? Did you not expect the sacrifice? Our mission of the church, as a church of God, is to join God in his war against Satan and sin, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, invade the kingdom of darkness for the glory of God. Did you think it would be easy? Did you think it would come without a price? Did you think there would not be a cost that has to be paid if we're going to engage in war for the glory of our God, for the glory of our Savior? Of course it's hard. Of course it's difficult. It is war, the Bible says. Of course there will be suffering. I would go as far as to say that if you don't feel that, if you're not feeling the difficulty of the sacrifice, I would say you're not leading. You're not leading in the kingdom of God. If you're, if you're not experiencing that, I'm trying to lead and push people towards the Lord and move in this direction, and it's challenging, and it's difficult, and I'm suffering these things, and I'm saying, well, are you leading? If a captain in the army said, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm leading, but it's not really hard. It's not really challenging or anything. It's not really that difficult. I'm like, I, I don't know what you're doing. You're not leading in the kingdom of God. If you aren't suffering under that to some degree, we follow Jesus, the ultimate servant of God, the ultimate example. We follow him in his war, in his battle against sin and against all of the effects of sin. He is the one we follow. If we are following him, that means we fight with him, which means it will be challenging, which means it will be hard, and it means we'll have the victory in the end. 
And it means when all is said and done, we will see that everything that we sacrifice and suffer will be ultimately worth it. Hebrews says that it was for the, for the joy that was set before him that, that Jesus Christ endured the cross, that he kept his eyes on the joy that was before him, and, and he found strength there to be able to endure. That means it's worth it. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but when we get there at the end, when all the fighting is done, every soldier in his army will say it was worth it, that there was nothing that I did that was not worth what I am currently being rewarded with. Everything we have suffered will be worth it. Jesus, the ultimate servant of God, the ultimate example. He's a servant of God. You saw it in the, gar- in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? The one who, who is under authority yet still has authority. You see him in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's contemplating, as he's stressed out, and he's feeling the burden of what he's about to do, of the cup that he's about to drink. And he says, Father, if, it, if, it, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. I don't, I don't want to have to deal with this. But you also see that he's the servant because he says, but Father, not my will, but yours be done. He submitted himself to the Father, and he said, it's not, it's not me who judges me, but it is you. I, I submit to you. We also know that he was the perfect example, that he led by example more than anyone else. He, he lived a perfect life. He always loved God the Father perfectly. He always loved people, even though people turned against him. One of his best friends betrayed him. He still had nothing but love in his heart. He still continued on the course that God had set out for him. He is the ultimate example. He is the trustworthy leader. We know that he was also prepared for the sacrifice. He was schemed on. He was hated on. He was conspired against by the government on more than one occasion. He was mistreated. He was betrayed without retaliating at all. He is the one that if we want to have any idea of what trustworthy leadership is, we don't even just look to, Christ, to, to Paul's example, but we look to Christ. We see what he was willing to suffer. If it is true, what I said earlier, is you can tell how trustworthy someone is by what they are actually willing to suffer, then we all must agree that there is no leader more trustworthy to follow than Jesus himself. If it is true, what I said earlier, that a trustworthy leader actually leads by example, then there's no one more worthy of trusting and following than Jesus himself. If it is true, what I said earlier, that a trustworthy leader is really a servant of God, then we look at the one who followed God even to his own death that we might be saved and say, this is the leader I trust. This is the leader I follow. This is the leader I want to emulate. This is the leader that I want to point people to. This is the leader that I want to center my life around. This is the trustworthy leader that I need that everyone needs. And so I'm going to join him in his work, in his ministry. And I want to lead in any way that I can that more can come to know him because he's obviously who everyone needs. He's obviously what this world is completely about. Jesus himself, the trustworthy leader. The one who counted all the suffering to be worth it, that we might be with him forever in paradise, free from pain and harm and death. If we are to grow in being trustworthy leaders, let's just seek him. Let's just pursue him. Let's spend our time in his word reading about him and reading his words. Let's, let's pray to him. Let's meditate on who he is. We want to be trustworthy leaders. He, he's the way that gets us there. And as we do that, we'll find he's also the destination as well and the one that we are ultimately trying to get to. Jesus, on the night before he was crucified, before he was taken away to be crucified, I should say, he, he instituted what we now call communion. 
right? This is the ultimate display of his sacrifice. This is the ultimate display of his love for us that we believe in and that we trust in. As he took the bread and he broke it, he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took the cup and he passed it to him. He said, this is my, my blood poured out for you. As we partake in communion today, I want it to, to be present in our minds. This is why we trust him. This is why we trust him, because he was willing to go to this degree to have his body broken, to have his blood poured out. Of course, I'm going to trust him with my life. Of course, I want to follow him. I want to lead in the same way that he does. I'll pray for us, and then we'll open a communion table. Father, I'm grateful for your leadership, for how trustworthy you are and have proven yourself to be for us. And Father, there are things in our lives that cause us to not want to trust you. We're tempted by the enemy. Sometimes the difficulties in our lives, they, they, they make us not want to trust you. They make us feel like you're not doing a good job at leading our lives and running this earth, Father. But when we look at your example, when we look at how servant-hearted you are, when we look at how much you were willing to suffer, would you remind us, you know, you're trustworthy. We may not understand everything that you do, but you are our trustworthy leader, worthy of our following, worthy of our submission, worthy of being trusted with even our entire lives, Lord. Would you help us to model that? Would you do that same thing in our lives? Would you make us those who are servant-hearted as well, who lead by example, and who are willing to sacrifice whatever you would have for us to sacrifice for the sake of your kingdom? Would you make that true in us? Fathers, we partake in communion today. Would you Keep your sacrifice in the forefront of our minds. May we be ever grateful for what you have done for us. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.